As some of you already know, the function of a pastor that most drew me into the ministry is pastoral care. As far back as I can remember, people who were hurting came to me and something about the way I would listen or the way I would respond seemed to help. Then at the University of Virginia, when I was an English major, psych minor, and pre-med, go figure, I was volunteering in the emergency room to get some experience. And yet, instead of doing anything medical, they were forever putting me in the room with a patient who was anxious or with a family who had just gotten the news that their loved one hadn't made it. As I started thinking about seminary, I realized that I got nervous just standing in front of the class. I wasn't sure how this preaching thing was going to work out. I received great support from my church and from the seminary and the presbytery. In just my second semester, just my second semester, first year, I was sent to do clinical pastoral education placed in a hospital as a student chaplain. I was pretty excited, but not everyone on the medical staff was so excited to see me. You see, folks back then weren't expecting a female chaplain, much less someone so young. I had a hard time convincing people to let me into different parts of the hospital, into the ICU or pre-op or the ER or most other places. My supervisor, my supervisor suggested that I start wearing a clerical collar, and that certainly helped, although the weird stares and surprised looks continued. On that first day, I was called into a room where a woman named Anna was dying. I had barely started seminary, and now I was expected to be a minister to her. Family was gathered around, and they too looked a little surprised that I was the chaplain they sent in. I remember feeling a bit nervous and inadequate, and so I prayed for God to help me know what to do and even to help me know how to pray in a way that would be comforting to this woman and her family. Now, I had been there for people in the hospital before, but never as a clergy person. After introducing myself, I went over to the bed and I held Anna's hand and prayed. And when I asked her if she would like that prayer, she smiled at me. And there was a glimmer in her eyes as though her inner spirit was already catching glimpses of heaven. God gave me the words and the realization that I could also be comfortable with the silences. The family asked me if I could stay, and I did. After Anna passed, we gathered around her bed, holding hands and praying together. When I think back to that day, it's hard to believe that I was nervous, because ever since, being with families in such times has been one of the most rewarding aspects of my ministry. It means being invited to be part of a sacred space, and it's an honor if I can provide even a little bit of comfort. Although I used to wonder why the seminary would send out inexperienced students as chaplains, when you think about it, it makes sense. We can learn many things in the seminary classroom, 
But being a pastor isn't something that only occupies headspace. You have to go and do ministry, even if some of it is on-the-job training. The same is true for Christian discipleship for everyone. And our scripture this morning bears that out. We find Jesus surrounded with overwhelming crowds of people, all who need something from him at the same time, and he feels compassion for him. He cares, he rolls up his sleeve, he does the work he's called to do, and yet the sea of need is so great that he realizes he needs help to navigate the waters. He compares the people in the crowd to wandering sheep without shepherds and asks his 12 disciples for some help. First, he asks them to pray for someone to help, and then he pretty much says, surprise, surprise, it's you, you're the ones, and then he sends them out. Up till now, the disciples have had a front seat for all those things I talked about with the children and more, but there's a time when they have to start doing things. When the gospel writer speaks of Jesus sending these followers out, he switches the word from calling them disciples to calling them apostles. Apostles means the sent ones. In other words, the ones who are to go, to be commissioners, people of action, people doing mission. And he tells them what he wants them to do, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out evil. As if that doesn't seem impossible enough to the twelve, he tells them to go without any provisions. Having all grown up in these small, familiar villages, they find themselves being sent to new places as outsiders, without money or food or water or even shoes on their feet. Talk about traveling light. Such vulnerability depending on the kindness of strangers, seems daunting. Yet when you let go of your grip on whatever gives you a sense of safety or comfort, you realize your complete dependence on God. It frees you up to give yourself to others in new ways. While I did have shoes on my feet, when I worked at a makeshift refugee camp for orphans in an old, abandoned, actually falling apart schoolhouse in the former Yugoslavia, I understood how my own vulnerability could make a difference. These children had been traumatized. They had watched their parents and other loved ones tortured and killed. Many of them were unable to speak, almost catatonic when we first encountered them. Our little group of eight from the Presbyterian Church USA had been told not to bring more for any of us than a small backpack for the whole month we would be there because we didn't know if we'd be sleeping outside or inside. We didn't know where we'd be going. We didn't know how far we might have to walk. Much of the country had been blown to rubble and things remained volatile. There were no guarantees of where we might find ourselves. At the schoolhouse, we ate the same rations that the children did. We drank from the same questionable water with the little tablet you put in to make it drinkable. 
And each of us had a couple of used two-liter soda bottles filled with cloudy water each day that we could use to bathe. We got scabies from the children. We got sunburn from the lack of a lot of sunscreen. And in the midst of all of this, God was able to help these children trust that we were really there for them. Seeing us experience some of what they were experiencing enabled them to open up to us to do play therapy, to, to do art therapy, to start to share their stories, to start working through the pain of what had happened to them. Our team was far from being a solution to their problems or their pain, but God could use us as the first step because we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable, to let go of the many provisions that could have interfered with the children's sense of trust with us, the solidarity with us. Jesus understood the power of this vulnerability. We see it in his ministry and the humble, itinerant way he lived, his willingness to stand silent before his accusers, his willingness to go to the cross. Jesus first sends his newly appointed apostles to the other people of Israel. They get their feet wet by reaching out to those they know and with whom they have something in common. But these are only the first steps, testing the waters. Jesus never wants us to limit our acts of compassion to those in our own community, in our own country, of our own kind. In other places in the Gospels, he clearly extends their call to include the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And as we hear Jesus saying later in this Gospel of Matthew, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. When you and I come to church, it is the discipleship of learning and growing, worship, renewal. We study the Bible together. We gather spiritual and emotional strength from one another. We care for one another. A community of faith is vital if we are to grow in faith and be challenged to follow Christ. And yet, if going to church is the full extent of our understanding of what it means to be Christian, we haven't learned very much from Jesus. We gather strength here to be able to follow where Jesus is leading us out there. It's understandable that folks might be tempted not to follow beyond the doors of the church. There's comfort and familiarity and even in the wonderful movement of the spirit that we feel in this place. But God calls us to do so much more. On Easter morning, Jesus was not in the tomb, not where people expected him to be, because he had already gone ahead of us into new life. Jesus still goes ahead of us and beckons us to be the sent ones, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like the early apostles sent to the people who are lost and wandering, you and I are sent out to see the people who so often are not seen, to touch, touch with kindness, those who feel forgotten. Meeting them where they are. Can you imagine if our group from the PCUSA went to see these 
children and brought our own bottled water and nice food and fresh clothes for every day. We had to be vulnerable. We had to meet them where they were. Compassion's not just a feeling. It goes beyond caring into doing something about it. The temptation sometimes can be to say, I'll do something about it when I have more time, when the job slows down or the kids are grown or fill in the blank. Jesus says the time is now. In the second chapter of Philippians, the fledgling Christian community is encouraged in their act of compassion and love for others by looking at Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Some of you might remember from way back the late baseball player Roberto Clemente, who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He died in a plane crash when he was on his way to deliver aid to the people of Nicaragua after an earthquake. On his off-seasons, he often got directly involved in such relief work. He once said, anytime you have an opportunity to make things better and you don't, then you are wasting your time on this earth. Christianity is not about some vague sense of spirituality that makes you feel good or heightens your prosperity. It is engaging in the lives of others, loving our neighbor, as Jesus calls us to do. Living that way is relational, not just something you do to feel better about yourself, not reaching down to other people, but coming alongside them. What might your compassion move you to do. Amen.